Welcome to the Total Wealth Academy radio show, where wealth includes much more than just money. It includes family, fitness, romance, and all the other parts of a balanced life. Listen and learn how 70% of the millionaires in America made their money using real estate. Now your host, real estate investor and consultant, Steve Davis. Happy Wednesday, everybody. This is Trevor Davis, lead wealth coach up here at Total Wealth Academy. As always, starting with the Albert Einstein quote, the measure of intelligence is the ability to change. And happy May 10th, 2023. It is a very dark and rainy day out here in the city of Houston. So I hope you all are driving safe or somewhere safe and cozy. And I wanted to get us started into finally day three out of the four from the Tony Robbins Unleash the Power Within event that I went to in West Palm Beach, Florida back in November. The quote starting us off with day three is the following, create a vision and never let the environment, other people's beliefs, or the limits of what has been done in the past shape your decisions. And I think most of us out of those three challenges are probably stuck on the limits of what's been done in the past. And I would kind of identify that as a quote-unquote first-world problem because if the environment itself is your biggest issue, then you probably aren't in a first-world situation when your biggest concern is going to be environmental challenges like volcanoes, earthquakes, and floods. You know, we still have to deal with those here, especially in Houston, as hurricanes chiefly. That's our primary natural disaster to be concerned about. But I think most of us are kind of stuck on a limiting belief pattern based on stuff that's happened in the past. In regards to the fact that we disproportionately measure negative outcomes from the past. And I've brought this up before, and of course, be bringing many, many things up repeatedly over the course of this radio show, as I am fortunate enough to do it. But it's just something that rings so true to me personally, knowing that you could have all of these things happen so well in your life and probably have, I mean, let's say 90% good things happen to you on a daily basis. And we have to talk about all the good things, like even something as simple as just having a good meal for lunch. That's a good thing. But at the end of the day, you're not playing you eating your lunch at your lunch break over and over again. You're playing the slight comment you didn't like from a coworker over and over in your head. You know, you have nine incredibly good interactions with this person and then one that's slightly off and which one is the one you end up thinking about for hours and hours and hours. It's not one of the nine. It's, of course, that one that wasn't up to your expectations or your standards, which are very, very good to have, but not to basically form this situation of the one straw that's going to break the camel's proverbial back, which is your good time on this planet Earth. You can't be looking at all of these things acting like you're looking out for the straw that's going to break the camel's back and there's people out there, you know, the type of person who is seems to be happy-go-lucky, seems to be having a great time, and then one single thing doesn't go their way. And I'm talking about somebody who doesn't get the correct sauce or right amount of sauce on like a hamburger at, at lunch. 
and they get upset for the rest of the day. That's real people, and that's real adult people that I've known and met. And let's just say they're not what I consider to be happy individuals. And once it really got down to it, they admit that they're not happy either. And I think it has a very, very large part to do with the fact that they're constantly looking out for the bad stuff. We're not trying to pretend like everything is perfect all the time. But we're trying to have a good overall experience to where one bad thing that happens doesn't derail us completely to where all of a sudden all this good stuff is happening and then your wife or your husband doesn't take out the garbage or doesn't cook dinner and you just decide to go off. You know, talk about some maybe underlying causes to why you would reach that boiling point. We we could do that, but we're simply saying we're not trying to make one thing break or make our attitude completely. It's got to be a combination of many things that we can attribute to from the past. And then in the past, because of that disproportion, we've found, let's say in your lifetime, let's go from 90 out of, out of 100, let's say you have 90,000 excellent interactions or experiences, and then you have the 10,000 that aren't so great. So you're determining your reality now, not based on the 90,000, not based on the 90%, which if you're getting graded in school, is an A, you're basing your life experience and expectations on that 10% that didn't go your way. And there could be some very, very bad things in there, no doubt. But if we're looking at 9 out of 10, is it reasonable for us to expect 100% that the next thing that's going to happen is going to be unpleasant? No. I mean, with that set of statistics, you could say there's a 10% chance, but I think that's still extremely high for most people. Now... Let's go ahead and get into more of our content today. The three pillars of progress, because day three is titled Transformation Eliminate Inner Conflicts. And the biggest issue facing people is, at least in first world country, is not going to be external issues. It's going to be those internal ones. The focusing on the problems that have happened rather than the good things that have happened and having a very, very poor attitude that ends up shutting you off from potential opportunities. So step one out of these three pillars, get laser-focused and make it clear and compelling. And this was brought up really in different ways over the previous two days at Tony Robbins, and it I just find that The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People is the fundamental book by Stephen Covey, because it just seems to have the clearest organization of principles that ultimately are the principles. It's very, very funny when you read a completely different book and a brand new book, a book that could be published last year or literally in 2023, that more or less talks about one of those seven principles in detail from their own perspective. But then it's just like, oh yeah, I 
learned about that from Stephen Covey from the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Or even talking about mass media, you know, watch a nice television show that makes a nice point at the end of the episode. Chances are it's a point from Stephen Covey. Not saying that they took it necessarily directly from him, but they heard about that same principle worded in a different way from somebody else. Same thing with movies. You have a nice point made at the end of the movie, it's almost always something to do with that. So we're going to get back into getting laser focused after the break. How exactly does Tony Robbins recommend you build up on laser focusing your specific goal, make it actionable, and above all, set a time frame for it? We'll be right back with the Total Wealth Academy radio show. If you have money in an IRA, 401k, or other retirement account, you can use it to invest passively in real estate without tax or penalty. Our average rate of return is three times that of the stock market and mutual funds with much less volatility. If you have over $70,000, you can start passive investing today. Please attend our free sample class to learn more. Go to TotalWealthAcademy.com. That's TotalWealthAcademy.com for reservations. Thank you. Welcome back to the show, everybody. If you've got a question, I am live. Today is May 10th, 2023. That's 281-558-5738. 281-558-5738. All you got to do is call in. You can talk about what we're talking about now, or if you have a general question about real estate, I will do my best to answer you. And if you want to ask anonymously, you can ask at trevor at totalwealthacademy.com. And just, you can tell me you want to be answered anonymously. That's not a problem. Now, we're getting focused and clear step one, which is begin with the end in mind from Stephen Covey. And that is literally habit number two after the first habit, habit, which is be proactive. And what I've really started thinking about recently is that it's ordered in a very important way. In the seven habits of highly effective people, the first one is the most important. If you're not going to be proactive, then nothing else that follows is going to happen or matter because you have to make sure that you're focusing on taking constructive action in whatever it is that is important to you. It could be whatever whatever you think is important. It doesn't matter. I like making beer. I like playing guitar. Is Are these two things that most people consider traditionally wealth-building avenues? Not by a long shot. But I've also liked real estate pretty well my whole life. So that's why I've gotten involved in real estate and do a lot of what I do today. And that's been my main wealth building avenue so far. And I kind of intend to keep it that way. Now, with the laser focusing, you have to find something that's simply what you truly want. And the easier it is for you to take action on it without feeling like everything is pushing you away or you feel like you're losing energy when you do it, it's probably a good indicator of that being what you want. And there is that challenge that most of us face and that there's just this general sort of anti-proactive sense within us, this energy-conserving sense within us that we've identified as the survival brain. You could have the most noble, interesting, compelling goal to you, but from every single person that I've talked to about this, with every single book that I've gotten to read about it, 
from people that have achieved what most would consider massive success, they also have survival brain dominant moments and phases of life. I mean, like the ups and downs of the stock market, people have ups and downs in life. And there are some times and some days where you're just not going to feel like doing a whole lot, even in the context of accomplishing your goal. And spoiler alert, this is completely normal to all human beings on the planet. It's normal to me. It's normal to you. It's normal to your mom. It's normal to your dad, your brothers, your sisters, your spouse, your friends, your coworkers, that person or celebrity or whoever it is that you've identified as being the epitome of what you consider success, they also experience survival brain moments, lazy moments, anti-proactive moments, whatever you feel most identifying when pointing that fact out. But anything in life that you're focused on and you're clear about what you want, you can make happen. And especially with the right attitude, because if you have an anti-proactive attitude, you're not going to be jumping on those chances for you to make a substantial step forward. Step two, get the best tools for the results. Once you've clearly defined your vision, you need an effective and efficient game plan to hit it. In order to close the gap between where you are and where you want to be, you need proven tools that can get you the results in the shortest period of time. AKA, this is part of the sales pitch for coaching, of course, because if you want to get somewhere faster, you're going to go to somebody that's gotten to that point or some semblance of that point, even if it's not exactly 100% what you want specifically. So if you're getting started, like let's say you're, if you're going to try and get your six-year-old into baseball, I mean, are you probably going to be able to go to Altuve himself and get coaching? Probably not because Altuve is in peak of his career as a professional baseball player, one of the highest paid baseball players in the league. He's busy. (laughs) He's pretty busy playing for the Astros right now. And as great as it would be to learn from Altuve right now, it's not really possible. Maybe in the future. But what if you got to get coached by someone that had played in the major league and is now a coach? That's probably a great place to start if you really want to get serious for your six-year-old that's already extremely serious about baseball. But a lot of people in this situation are probably going to go to somebody that's been a successful high school or college coach in the past, and now they're teaching Little League, for example. But we see the qualifications that this person has And that's the reason why we're going to this person to learn about baseball. And as much as I love bread, the example I always draw up typically involves a baker. Like if you're going to learn about baseball, are you going to go to the baker? No. But if you're trying to learn about baking, are you going to go to the baker? Of course. So in this scenario, you're going to the people that know how to do this and have gotten results with it. And... I don't know if this is going to be too hard to hear sometimes, but you also need to learn from people that have screwed it up a couple times and have still not quit and therefore know better than anybody how to make you avoid those same types of mistakes. Looking at myself here and looking at every single person that I've talked to that's been in real estate for a substantial period of time, 
I'm not the person that's trying to say that it's all sunshine and rainbows because it's not. There are many ways for people to screw up real estate, and that's exactly why educating yourself is so important because your money is on the line and you want to make as much as possible by doing it correctly the first time, not the second time, not the tenth time. Step three, get aligned, get integrated, and get results. Sounds like some zippy buzzwords, but to go back to what I've talked about before, the results that come out from the actions that you've taken need to determine your present and future course. If the person that you've talked to hasn't helped you get those results, then it might be time for you to look at a different source. It could be a matter of maybe they y'all just didn't get along. Maybe you didn't get enough assistance. That's something that you have to consider. You have to find the best fit for you. Now, at this point, he's going to give us strategies for starting to look at things through the concept and context of these three pillars of progress. Learning, as he says, is a creation of a relationship between the known and the unknown. And when I was younger, I heard about the unknown unknowns. And that was one thing that I didn't really get at first because it's like, isn't that just an unknown thing? Well, not exactly because you can know things that you don't know, but you can also not know the things that you don't know. So if I'm looking at my water bottle in front of me, I don't know the weight of it. At this specific time, I could estimate it, but I don't know the exact weight. And then if you start to get really, really out there, you could say, well, I don't know that I don't know that there are all these other things going on in the universe, maybe on the other side of the galaxy, that I could maybe think about science fiction-wise, but I don't know that I don't know these things because there's so many possibilities. I haven't even time to consider them as a something to even think about. And we have to make sure that we're looking at learning as a constant process to find out sometimes about things that we didn't know at all, the unknown unknowns to really expand our knowledge. And I would like to say that the difference here too is if you're going to expand your knowledge on something you're already learned on, like let's say you like medieval history, you know, you might not you might know some certain certain things that you don't know, like maybe you don't know a date about a certain country. That would be a known unknown. But then you start diving into other aspects of history that you didn't know anything about. Then you start creating knowledge through your unknown unknowns. Kind of a complex discussion we got into there. But let, let's go back. Let's go into number two here with the strategy. Strategy is a specific way of organizing your resources in order to consistently produce a, a specific result. And we're not looking at gambling as our strategy when it comes to our investments. We're looking at the consistency of an investment that will produce cash flow and we can do reasonable assessments of to have reasonable expectations and we have strategies to 
manage these projects and manage them correctly so that we're fully responsible for the result. And there are many effective strategies in real estate that work. There are many effective ways to be a landlord that work. It's not really the gambling like most people end up doing in the stock market. It's very, very challenging for people to always, always get good rates of return in the stock market. Every person I've talked to about the stock market at this point has had periods of extreme loss. And we're not talking about a haywire real estate deal where somebody loses 10, 20, maybe $30,000 because that's kind of the numbers we're looking at when people talk about screwing up a real estate deal completely. Worst case scenario, when people are losing money in the stock market, I'm hearing people losing $50,000, $100,000, sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars because they've got tons of money in the stock market. And when they lost like 33% almost in NASDAQ last year, it's not a pretty picture. So we're going to get back to eliciting a strategy. What are the five ingredients about creating an effective strategy for your goals? We'll be right back at the halfway point of the Total Wealth Academy radio show. Stay tuned. The stock market was never designed to build wealth. It was designed to keep up with inflation. The average rate of return over the last 75 years is about 7%. You'll get that even with the ups and downs. If you want a higher rate of return and less volatility, consider real estate. We make about three times as much as the stock market. Please attend our free sample class to learn more. Go to TotalWealthAcademy.com. That is TotalWealthAcademy.com for reservations. Thank you. Welcome back, everybody, to the Total Wealth Academy radio show. I want to start off the halfway point, as always, with my stock update, which is being buttressed by some supplementary material to kind of give even further context, because I focus on the year-to-date trend to just give us an assessment of how it's doing in the calendar year. And at this point, everybody that's been listening to my show should know that 2022 was a bad year for stocks significantly, as the Dow Jones lost 7.55%, S&P lost 16.04%, and NASDAQ lost 29.23%, you know, almost a third. And there's been some, some uptrends overall year to date, but we have daily that shows losses, so the, the daily losses, Dow Jones' loss of 15, 56, excuse me, S&P negative 19, and NASDAQ negative 77. And what this is translating to is that year-to-date, Dow Jones is at a 1.25% gain. So S&P is at a 7.89% gain, and NASDAQ is a 20.67% gain. And to someone who's never heard the show before, they're going to say, NASDAQ gained over 20% in 2023. That is amazing. Stocks work. I'm going to buy a whole bunch of NASDAQ right now. I'm going to put $50,000 into it or $100,000 or more. And I'm going to get a 20% rate of return. Is there probably going to be a further 20% increase in NASDAQ? Folks, No, that is extremely unlikely to happen. 
And what we're looking at is, as always, I, I do the math and I see what are our total gains or loss after you add on 2022. Dow Jones is still at a negative 6.3%. S&P 500 is still at a negative 8.15%. And NASDAQ is still at a negative 8.36%. So the, only, the happiest people in this situation are the people that decided to go all in on majority NASDAQ stocks. And they bought January 1st, 2023, and now they've gotten a 20% rate of return. That's pretty good. And that's that's the times when the stock market works. But they had no idea it was going to do that. They had no means to have a reasonable expectation that it was going to do that. Because you can watch the news all day, but all of these other people that are going on to the news every single day, watching every single show, going on to every website, going on to The Motley Fool, they're still not really making it. And we have to beat inflation, which is 6%. And none of my rates have even included inflation. These are the raw rates. So if you added on the 6% on that, it gets worse. So you're looking at Dow Jones still not making you money. S&P barely making you money if you purchase January 1st, 2023. And then NASDAQ making you right around a 14% rate of return. So it's that would still be kind of okay for most people because our expectations in the stock market brain are 6 to 7%, which is when average inflation is accounted for of 2 to 3%. So the rate of return right now that most people should be okay with is going to be around 3 to 4%. And that's what's kind of funny about this supplementary material that I'm looking at today. Because listen to the word choice here. If they're talking about the S&P 500, if you just own the top seven stocks in the S&P 500, you'd think this was a rip-roaring, quote, quarter for passive investors. A rip-roaring quarter. Here are the rates of return that validate this assessment as rip-roaring. And let me see if you can agree with this article's author. Apple up 5.3, Microsoft up 7.8, Apple Alphabet up 1.7, that's Google, Amazon up 2.3, Berkshire Hathaway 2.3, NVIDIA 4.9, and Meta at the highest at 9.8. None of these rates of return have even cracked 10% before inflation. So if you're looking at Meta and you hack off the 6% inflation, they're getting just the stock market overall average across all investments in the stock market at 3.8%. So this is not an accurate description of this change in the S&P index. Rip roaring would have to be beating the average, don't you agree? This was not a rip roaring stock quarter for the S&P. This was an average for the highest earners. Because these seven that I just showed you are the ones that are holding up. But as the article goes on to further explain, the smaller folks in this account, in this stock index, are still not happy. 
they're not having rates of return that are substantial enough to even mention in this article. So if you're comfortable, this this is the thing here. Like this is just the end all be all, take it or leave it part of this conversation. If you are okay with those types of returns, then you are good staying in the stock market. And I'm not the type of person who's going to berate you or try to beat you down or call you any sort of names because you made that decision on your own volition. If you're okay with those rates of return, you're okay with what I've just discussed, you're okay with this up and down, this is what you're comfortable with after all. This is what your teachers taught you, your parents taught you, this is what's on the news because you can trust the news, right? Then you're good. You're going to be you're going to be happy with your decision. Hopefully it'll pay off for you too. But for the rest of us, we're looking at the statistics, we're looking at the rates of return, we're looking at the raw numbers. And we're seeing that the stock market is not effectively retiring people. It's not building them wealth in a way that they can access it while they actually have youth. Because I don't want to say I'm retired at 70 and finally get to do all the stuff and do all the travels I've wanted to do. I'm trying to build up cash flow as always, as much as I can now, so that snowballs and gets bigger and bigger and bigger as time goes on. Because I'm the type of person who's not going to stop in that regard. I'm not going to get to a certain level of income and say, I'm good. I want to continue building my wealth to get it as big as possible so I can make a significant impact and give back as much as possible. And do something like what Warren Buffett has declared the the billionaire's promise, where he has explicitly stated that he is going to give away all of his wealth before he passes away. And any billionaire who can jump in on that one is, and follow through with it is going to have my eternal respect for sure. Because when you control that many resources, you control that much of the wealth in this country. It's still a relatively small proportion, but to one person, it's extremely massive and you're actually working to give back and make a difference, that is exceptional behavior. That is something worthwhile. That is something that you can get to your deathbed with and smile about and be happy with and know that you made the right choice on the disciplined path and you don't have to regret doing otherwise. So that discussion comes to a close. Let's get back to Tony Robbins and the strategies and the listening to strategy like a recipe. Talk about the baker again, and that's the comparison they actually make is that if you're trying to bake, you, you found a bread that you loved and you want to learn how to bake it, you're going to get the recipe from somebody. Let's say your grandma made the most delicious gingerbread cookies ever or made the most delicious whole wheat or rye bread ever. You know, you're not just going to go out to some rando or the back of a, a rye 
box and try and get the recipe there. It might be really good, but you're trying to get your grandma's recipe, so you're going to go straight to grandma to get the recipe, aren't you? So number one is finding the ingredients, the five senses, internal or external. What are the sensations that come out when you start to think about this specific goal? What are the amounts and qualities of these sensations? Which one do you feel the most whenever you start thinking about this goal? What things do you feel like you're going to avoid by pursuing this goal? What is the pain that you're going to avoid? Because we're still pain-avoiding creatures, there's a reason why we take more effort to avoid pain than gain pleasure. It's because of what I talked about at the beginning. We hold on to the pain way harder and way longer. Order and sequence. What happens when you start to change how you initially prepared to approach this goal? And then body movements in the oven. How exactly are you channeling your physiology to put yourself in a high energy state or a peak state as they like to call it that gets you into the best proactive nature for you to take action on something important towards your goal. We're going to get back with the emotional recipes of the strategy. This is Total Wealth Academy Radio Show. We'll be right back for the final segment. Stay tuned. an old joke. When is the best time to buy real estate? 20 years ago. When is the second best time? Today. And this is truer than ever with the impending recession and the correction that's going on right now. Real estate investors are going to make millions of dollars in the next few years because of the recession. You should take advantage of it as well. To find out how, please attend our free sample class to learn more. Go to TotalWealthAcademy.com. TotalWealthAcademy.com. Just click on the free sample class button. Thank you. All right, everybody, we are at the final segment of today's Wednesday radio show. I'm your host, Trevor Davis, the lead wealth coach up at Total Wealth Academy. We're looking at the emotional recipes for creating the strategy, which are based on the senses, visual, auditory, kinetic, olfactory, and gustatory. Visual, your eyes, auditory, your ears, kinetic, you know, sense of touch, the skin, olfactory, your nose, the smell, and gustatory, your taste, your tongue, the palate, and... I'm not really going to go into a whole bunch of detail on this one, but one thing I think is really funny is that when somebody says the way to their significant other's heart is through their stomach, I think that can be translated to every single person out there. If you want to make a positive impression and you want to get on somebody's good side, it's probably easiest to go through their stomach. If you want to get in good with the coworkers, you want to get in good with the boss, order lunch, get them a latte or something, but maybe it's not maybe maybe it is a coffee for a lot of people. But find some way, get them through the stomach, always makes a big difference if you want to make an impression. People love food. We got to eat to survive. And when you get that taken care of by somebody, it generates a lot of positive attachment and emotions to you because they see you as a positive provider for their their well-being. doesn't matter who it is. It doesn't matter if they hate your guts. If you get them some food, some cookies, burgers, tends to be very, very good. It's a very, very, I feel, overlooked trick 
for lack of a better term, for getting people to start getting on your side and seeing things your way. So let's take a look at these exercises. They say, put the cook in the kitchen. Remember and fully associate to a time when you felt totally motivated. And I feel like because we talked about how people look to the past for all these negative experiences, well, you need to flip that script and look to your past experiences for the positive experiences when you succeeded at something. Now, let's take a look at about confidence. You know, if you asked your significant other out or made it known that you had these intentions, you know, that took a lot of confidence. And then sometimes you get nervous in your interactions with your spouse or significant other. I think it's very helpful to look back at that time when you had that confidence from the get-go. You know, as the stereotype goes, and I think this is such a ridiculous thing that people have just accepted, but the passion and intimacy tends to go down as time goes on. Why in the world is that the case? So you spend more time with this person, you end up enjoying more great times with them, you've more and more committed to them, why in the world would the passion and interest decrease? That doesn't make any sense. So you kind of have to channel the time period, as it were, when that passion and intensity was very, very high, which is for most people at the relatively early stages of the relationship. And it's like, why is that the case? You guys don't really know each other as well as you know each other five years down the line or 10 years or 20. And I'm not going to account for something ridiculous like when you get older, you just, you're just not interested in it anymore. I think that's a load of nonsense. I don't believe in that. I really, really think that that confidence that starts to get hit sometimes because... Again, you had an approach, you tried to do something nice for your significant other, it got shot down in some way, you didn't get quite the reaction you wanted. Because it's somebody you care so much about, the pain from that rejection doesn't hurt less, it hurts a whole lot worse. For better or worse, that's the way we look at it. I'm not saying it has to be that way permanently. But that's kind of how our confidence can slowly fall out of itself in relation to our significant other. Don't just give up just because you didn't get what you wanted using the same technique that's worked. Try again. Be proactive. Be energetic. Still go out on dates. Do fun things. Sometimes you should act like you guys are just dating. Just started dating makes a very, very huge difference. But remembering an associated time when you felt totally motivated, let's talk about something that you did, you know, goal-wise, or you got that job that you always wanted, that promotion, or took a plunge and took a class somewhere, or took a trip to a country that you were kind of nervous about doing, or being at the top of the big scary slide when you're like three or four and you ended up going down somehow anyway. Maybe it's very hard to put our finger on it, but we can probably put our finger on the sensation that we had when we made that decision. What was that feeling that allowed you to take action on something important? 
And let's make it clear we're not talking about taking action, like jumping into something ridiculous that is not going to get us any better. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about when we're stuck on something that we know is what we want, but we get frozen like a deer in headlights because we're afraid of something bad happening. But I would argue because a certain part of us is also afraid of having more positivity come into our lives. I don't think that makes a lot of sense up front and just saying that on its own. But when the when we talk about it being okay to be happy, I think a lot of people get stuck in this idea that they have to just accept what they have. I I really, really think that that's one of the biggest things holding back Americans is that we kind of self-sabotage and we don't start actively pursuing new and upgraded opportunities. We say, this is the house that I wanted. Uh, I, I mean, it's not exactly what I wanted, but I'm okay with it. It's good enough. And again, first world problems, I get it. But if we know that we want something that could be considered more, I don't see it as being bad to pursue it. I don't think somebody is bad for wanting to be a millionaire or a billionaire. I don't think that's the problem. I think the problem is when people are self-sabotaging themselves or they're creating situations where they're sabotaging others, like the crab in the bucket example. You know, a crab is able to find a way out of a bucket. What do the other crabs do? They grab that crab, drag it back down into the bucket. You know, if somebody, if you can't have success, then, well, I guess all these other people won't be having success either, and I'm going to make sure of that. You know, that's not helpful. That doesn't make Earth a better place. That doesn't make the world that's going to be here for your kids better. That doesn't make the world that's going to be here for your grandkids better, or your great-grandkids, great-great, so on and so forth. That's not helping anybody. So find this time Fully associate that event with what you're looking at now. Use that as fuel to get a more realistic outlook on what's in front of you. The actual exercise we did was the fire walking. And by the way, at UPW, you don't do this on the last day. You do this on the very first day, which I think is awesome. I would have, honestly, I think that would have, that probably would drive so many people nuts, including myself, to be waiting that whole time to do the firewalk, finally. You do it on the first night. And this was literally right after 12. I took a picture. I took a picture as we were going out. It was exactly 12, 14 a.m. We'd been there since like 9 a.m. So long day. You have these flaming hot coals in front of you that are burning red. They're over 2,000 degrees. You're scared to death, but somehow... I walked across, and I made it to the other side. Did I burn myself? No. Pause for dramatic effect. Was I hurt in any way? No. Did my feet feel warm? Yes. Did I feel how hot those coals were, the warmth around me? Absolutely. It literally felt like my feet were being we're right next to an open oven. I mean, you could feel the heat, but I wasn't getting burned. I made it to the other side, despite the fact that I had all this fear up front. Somehow, I took action. 
Number two, step two, elicit the specific or precise triggers that are necessary for you to feel totally motivated. What was something about that specific scenario that triggered you to take action? Was it an encouraging word from your mom or dad? Was it something maybe you saw in a show or a motivational poster on your teacher's wall? What was it that was getting you to actually take action? Channel that type of trigger and identify that as something that you can use for yourself. We hear about triggers a lot in a negative context, but we can use triggers in a positive way to push us forward. Step three, elicit the specific submodalities in order that trigger the strategy to work. What about it that caused me to feel motivated? What were the things that made it unique? What was the vision? What were the words? What about it sets it apart from the other stimuli that were in your environment at the time? And use this strategy step four anytime you want to feel inspired and really motivated. So folks, take a look at your past experience outside of the negative light and look at the positive side of things and find the positive experiences that have defined who you really are today. This is Trevor Davis, the Total Wealth Academy radio show. I will see you all next Wednesday and y'all have a great rest of your week. Stay dry. You've been listening to the Total Wealth Academy radio show. Please remember that this show is for entertainment purposes only and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investing advice. Always get a professional opinion before making any investment decisions. To find out more about coaching and consulting at Total Wealth Academy, visit TotalWealthAcademy.com and attend one of our free sample classes on real estate investing. Thanks for listening. Have a great day.